You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK Services. Um, David, we say each and every week just about, but it's been another very interesting week in the Australian energy market. Uh, it, it is another interesting week. The uh, little gears are turning the bigger and bigger gears now uh, and we've got uh, a great interview uh, with uh, the CEO of the biggest mover and shaker almost of the week, although there's competition from Chris Bowen as well. Well, that's right, yes. We've had the um, Energy Minister's meeting on Thursday and the agreement on something called the Capacity Investment Scheme. Um, a bunch of other different announcements um, going around the place, but I guess the biggest of them all was the purchase um, by Andrew Forrest's um, private company, Squadron Energy, owned by his private investment company, Tatarang, of CWP. And um, earlier today, David and I got to speak to Eva Hanley, who is the CEO of Squadron Energy. Eva Hanley, uh, welcome back to the Energy Insiders podcast. It's great to be back. Thanks, David. Thanks, Giles. Yes, of course, last time we spoke to you, you were with the transmission company Transgrid. You are now CEO of Squadron Energy, the um, the private energy business of um, Andrew Forrest. So congratulations first on that appointment. Thank you. It's It's been a wonderful six months. Well, it's been a very exciting six months and it's um, culminated, well, it hasn't culminated, but um, it has led this week to one of the most exciting and biggest announcements um, the purchased by uh, Squadron Energy of CWP Renewables, one of the uh, biggest and most successful renewable energy developers in Australia. It gives you a huge pipeline of um, wind, solar and storage projects. CWP has been up for sale for quite some time. I don't remember seeing Andrew Forrest or Squadron Energy's name mentioned um, in a connection with it until until the sale was complete. So how long have you been thinking about this and why? Well, the key driver is we have some incredible uh, wind assets in Queensland. And as we were moving towards our strategy of being a significant player in the Australian market, we were very aware that we needed to get a broader geographic presence across the East Coast so we could participate in the NEM more fully. And that's what was really interesting about CWP is that it had the assets in New South Wales and Victoria that really complemented the assets we already had in Queensland. So that was that was the first reason we were interested. Uh, the second reason was it had a great reputation. And uh, when we did our due diligence, uh, people said that it was a great company to work with it, it had really strong values and it interacted with communities uh, and stakeholders and landowners in a really positive way. And that was just as important to us as the assets. 
I think it, it's interesting. I mean, Andrew Forrest makes um, a, a lot of noise about um, his investments and his plans and his MOUs and things like that. He's not afraid to take a public stage. How did you manage to keep this um, this so quiet? Look, I, I don't know. We, I mean, we were in the a process that was run by Macquarie Bank, and we just focused on doing the work and and understanding the company uh, and. Yes, I think a lot of people were surprised uh, that that we came out on top at the at the end. Well, you obviously made a, um, offered more money than other people. Um, there's been a bit of speculation around the price that you have offered, um, more than four billion dollars. Can you sort of confirm, deny, or no comment on that one? No comment on that one, Giles. <laughs> but clearly, it was the highest bid. Well, I also yeah, there's. There's always more to price, I think, in these processes. And uh, the wonderful thing about Squadron acquiring CWP is that we're in a 100% Australian-owned company. And uh, so we had no regulatory approvals that we needed to worry about, no FERB approvals. Uh, so it's really exciting to be bringing these assets into Australian hands. And, and in fact, no um, competition uh, approvals required either. So I suppose its uh, ability to complete the transaction efficiently is, is a factor to the vendor. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's an acquisition no, uh, north of $4 billion, as is commonly agreed. Uh, uh, and, but there's also uh, at least one and a half uh, gigawatts of uh, uh, wind, you know, with the Angola. I hope I've pronounced that right, and Jeremiah and Spices Creek wind farms in New South Wales that are at various stages of development. Um, that's a lot of uh, uh, another four billion of sort of uh, funding to take place if you if you develop all those three. Plus there's Clark's Creek. It's going to be quite a big balance sheet for FFI, isn't it? Well, I do. Yes, it is. I do want to point out that uh, it's not part of FFI. So Squadron it's, Energy excuse me, Squadron. is, yes, 100% owned uh, by the Forrest family uh, in a private vehicle called Tatarang. We just uh, see so much capital that wants to invest in renewables uh, and particularly renewables in Australia. And yes, there, there's a lot of uh, investment that be, will be required to build these projects, uh, but we don't see a, a problem at all uh, finding that capital, both from within uh, the squadron group, as well as other investors, such as uh, superannuation funds. So there is some plan to uh, to, to co-fund some of this development. Or maybe we can talk about it, just the order of development. I, I guess I'm interested in a lot of things uh, about squadron and what it's doing because there's all the WindLab assets as well that, and Clark's Creek that's been developed. Uh, has Angular actually uh, got a notice to proceed yet, for instance? Uh, with Angular, we're pre-FID uh, at the moment um, with the battery and with the wind farm, we're construction ready. So that will no doubt be one of the first projects that, that kicks off and I think as you would have seen from our growth so far in Squadron and our acquisition of CWP is that we move very quickly at Squadron. We're, we're a different sort of energy company. We're nimble, we're entrepreneurial, um, and, and we can make decisions and move very quickly. So 
there should be absolutely no slowdown in CWP's growth. In fact, uh, we hope to see it ramp up. And besides Angular, is there any of the other projects that are actually shovel ready at the moment? Or uh, most of the rest still require like GPS or other bits and pieces, you know, that uh, no matter how nimble you are, tend to take time. Oh, yes. I mean, there's always processes we, you know, any developer needs to go through. So we will uh, work really closely with the CWP team uh, and see how we can help and work together more strongly and, and wherever possible, uh, find a way to get those green electrons to market. And that's something that we as a broader squadron group are really focused on. The, the gap in supply that we need to bring in to the system uh, is so large that we need to find more efficient, smarter, better ways of bringing the energy into the system quickly. And with the scale that we have now, that's, that's something we'll be really interested in looking at. I'll hand back to Giles in, a, in just a second. I just want one more question. I, I, I would, would like to quickly run around the rest of the uh, squadron portfolio. And, and, and at this point, I just ask a little bit about uh, uh, Port Kembla. Have you actually ordered the floating terminal yet? And when do you expect that to be in operation? And, you know, the industry chat is there's no real customers for that just at the moment. And so how are you seeing that project? That project is going really well. Construction is on schedule and we will be finished that project in December 2023. We have secured the FSRU, it's called the Hogue Galleon, uh, and we take ownership of that in October. Uh, we see that uh, project as a really important one to help with the transition in the short term. Uh, as you would know, we are a renewable company but we see natural gas playing an important role in the very short term, but our plan is to transition that project to a green hydrogen project uh, as, as soon as we can, so it will also be a renewable project. Gavin, yeah, just, just on that matter of, um, of, of storage, um, the list of your projects um, which you distributed the other day shows I think about 10 large-scale battery projects sort of associated with various sort of wind uh, or mostly wind projects. So um, that's interesting, sort of, um, sort of 10 quite sizable battery storage projects that you intend to develop along with those wind farms? Absolutely. I uh, am a huge fan of large-scale grid storage. Uh, I was involved in the, the first large-scale inertia battery that we did when I was at Transgrid, and I've seen uh, the amazing uh, services that large-scale storage can provide into the system, and inertia is, of course, one really important one. So we were thrilled that the CWP portfolio had a number of storage assets in it. Uh, we also have uh, planned for a very large 2-gig battery up at our Clark Creek project. So, uh, yes, we will be uh, a huge buyer of storage in the coming years. Have you taken much note of the Energy Minister's decision um, on Thursday for this uh, capacity investment scheme, which seems to favour battery storage and pumped hydro over sort of fossil fuel um, alternatives for dispatchable generation? Have you had a chance to look at that and um, sort of get any idea about what it might mean for your portfolio and the funding of that? Or maybe you didn't actually need that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the detail come out over the, the coming days and weeks. 
but it's fantastic to see uh, any support for renewable generation or services that support the energy transition like storage come out. We, we would always be in favour of, of policies that promote investment in renewable sources. The idea behind this purchase of CWP, I mean, what it's going to do is going to thrust um, Squadron Energy and um, Andrew Forrest as the biggest player in the local um, renewables market. I mean, barring other people like maybe Blackstone coming in and spending $20 billion, as they've suggested. Um, you're not a retailer, as far as I understand. I don't know whether there are any plans to be a retailer or just sort of simply sort of... Um, who's going to be the major buyer of your output? I mean, is it actually going to be um, Andrew Forrest's other interests, Fortescue Metals and FFI, because they've got big plans uh, for green hydrogen, um, domestic manufacturing? Um, is that going to be the biggest customer or will you be looking for other sort of corporate and commercial customers? Well, with the... The size of the portfolio we have now combined, it's around 20 gigawatts that we'll be developing. That's a huge amount of renewable power that will be coming to market. We have already, uh, prior to this acquisition, had very strong interest from customers who are really looking for large amounts of firmed green power to decarbonise, uh, whether it be uh, manufacturing or CNI or even large corporates. And what we think this acquisition does is it, it gives us, like I said before, a greater geographic footprint so that we can offer customers firmed renewable energy where they need it, when they need it. And so what we're seeing and, and, and expecting and looking forward to leading is a move away from individual PPAs on specific projects because that's just not enough energy for large customers and so we're, we're calling it a move from a generator-led to a customer-led industry uh, and what I mean by that is a customer and, and some of the big industrials need 5, 10, 20 gigawatts of renewable power uh, to decarbonise and so that customer will come and say look I just need the firmed green electrons and I just want to buy them from one place uh, and then you figure out where they come from and how they get to us and so that's that's a really interesting dynamic that we're expecting to see which customer needs 10 gigawatts just out of interest well if you think about steel and aluminium uh, and other very very carbon intensive manufacturers they need a lot of renewable power and it's in the, it's in those numbers I, I, I guess it is. I, I think I, I, if I think about Tomago, it probably needs three gigawatts of gross renewable energy because it consumes about what one, uh, the equivalent of a, uh, one gigawatt of coal operating 100%. Um, I, 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 and also, Eva, just continuing to run around, and I, I'm amazed at how much, uh, you know, uh, other companies I've studied, <coughs> you know, when the chief executives wouldn't be making these big decisions in such a quick space of time. Uh, does this mean with this focus on, on the NEM and the East Coast that you've kind of uh, perhaps given up on Sun Cable to some extent? I mean, the news has gone extremely quiet on that, that project uh, over the last year or so. We saw Macquarie Bank come on, we saw uh, Bechtel in there, and uh, uh, but, but, you know, then radio silence. What's happening up there? 
We haven't lost focus on, on that project at all. The way I think about the energy transition, and it's something that Andrew and Nicola uh, and me and all the staff that work at Squadron is that we are deeply passionate about decarbonisation. This is this is not just a job to us. We we want to change uh, where our power comes from in Australia, and we want to do it really, really quickly. And so we believe that we need everything uh, as as a as an economy. So we need to invest in renewable power connected to the NEM. We need to invest in renewable power that's able to decarbonise industries. Um, we need projects like Sun Cable, which is so visionary and large and inspires so many people now. Uh, and we need green hydrogen. So it's not one or the other. It's definitely as much renewable power we can get into the system. The more, the better. And so Sun Cable would still be uh, on its original timetable, would it? And get things going well? Yeah, that, I mean, that project, as you know, uh, went through and got the the milestones approved by Infrastructure Australia uh, recently. So it is progressing as planned uh, and it's just such an exciting project. I mean, apart from the domestic need for renewable power, we see uh, enormous opportunity for Australia to become a green energy superpower and a leader. And it's projects like that that will get us to that point. And again, before I hand back to Giles, uh, do you have any comment on the current cost pressures in the industry? Like uh, my feeling is that like battery prices are up 30%, uh, wind prices, it's more like 3 million a megawatt at the right this very second than 2 million of capital. And, you know, EPC solar costs may be as high as $1.50 when they were $1.10 before. Uh, is, that, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, it, it is. It is a real challenge. We have these uh, global macro macroeconomic factors that are really impacting uh, Australia's ability to construct large projects and infrastructure across the board, whether they be energy projects or other projects. And I believe that in order to transition as quickly as possible and to bring forward investment in renewable energy, we have to find a way to do it more cheaply. And that's something that we are really, really interested in exploring. Uh, I just got back from a trip to the Pilbara. We took the CWP leadership and WinLab leadership around because we thought if we're going to get the produced cost of energy down lower than anybody else, uh, and help Australia really bring more power into the system. We need to learn from those that have done that sort of thing before and who better to learn from than Fortescue and FFI. I mean, Fortescue has the cost of iron ore produced, I think it was 30% lower than anyone else in the world. Uh, it's just incredible. And so the way they've done that is is picking apart the production and looking at every smart way uh, to optimise how you do things, do it better, safer uh, and cheaper. And that's what we're going to bring to renewable power because when you look at the, the sums of money that we need to spend, not only in the generation but also in the transmission, uh, we have to get those costs down um, and we want to be a real part of, of that. Uh, the other thing is looking at smarter ways to procure and manufacture 
we're really supportive of the federal government's uh, plan to, to bring high-tech green manufacturing back onshore, and we think that's going to be a big driver in bringing costs down as well. I'm just wondering if the, um, the, the, the sort of separation between squadron energy and FFI and things like that, I mean, how do you sort of, sort of um, split and divide um, between projects? Because FFI, if we understand correctly, is probably having intention to build massive renewable energy projects of its own. Um, squadron player is squadron, squadron, squadron player. Sorry, squadron energy has now got sort of you know, a major share of the um, of the eastern states um, renewable um, energy pipeline and and, and, and some important um, operating projects. So, is, the, is is it easy to explain that the the separation between the two or how they work together? I think it's pretty easy. Uh, FFI is part of the Fortescue Group, which is a publicly listed company. Uh, and they operate very separately to Squadron. We are we are a completely separate entity, uh, private company, and we also have very different uh, roles. So, FFI is very much looking at uh, green hydrogen production, manufacturing, and supply chain, uh, and we're a, a developer of green electrons. So, very much playing in in different spaces within the energy system, and um, where. FFI as a customer needs green electrons. Um, we're more than happy to transact with them. In fact, we already are, uh, but we will also transact with other customers in the market. Okay, so so um, if FFI is talking about building, um, or Fortescue is talking about building a five gigawatt um, wind and solar complex in the Pilbara to help sort of power um, Fortescue Metals, is that something that Squadron would do, or was that going to be up to F, um, if Fortescue and FFI to do it themselves? Well, we are already playing a role in that project. So through WindLab, uh, it's, it's a partnership between WindLab and FFI working on that project. So like I said, we have very different focuses and very different skill sets. Uh, but of course, like any uh, green industry like FFI is playing in, uh, the key component to that is to find low cost firm green electrons and so that's what we're focusing on. Well, WindLab's got a fantastic history of finding the best places to um, to have wind farms um, in particular. I'm, I'm just kind of interested in another one of the projects that's been flagged recently, and that's this 10 gigawatt sort of super hub up in North Queensland. Um, exactly, um, can you tell us, what, what more can you tell us about that and who the customers will be? Um, and I'd also like to know um, a bit more about how you see this sort of the green manufacturing um, developing particularly in things like green metals, but also in the manufacturing of things like turbine components and maybe even solar modules or whatever, and, and the role that you see Squadron playing in that. So sorry, that's about two or three questions lumped into one, but maybe you could start with the Superhub proposal. Yeah, the Superhub was is a fantastic initiative and it's great to see uh, a government like the Queensland government has just completely embrace uh, bringing in renewable energy at that scale and we really believe that's the scale we have to be building at. It can't be a couple of hundred megawatts here and there. We've we've got to plan big to get the energy into the system as quickly as possible. Uh, so the, the super hub does that and uh, it's probably too early to talk about customers and details but uh, we're, we're really looking forward to working with the government and, and FFI on, on that fantastic project. More broadly mm -hmm. on green manufacturing, uh, I 
think it's a really interesting part of the sector. When you think about how many batteries Australia will need uh, to realise its ambitions of decarbonisation, there's, there's a lot. And what we're doing at the moment is, unfortunately, we're having to compete with every other jurisdiction on wanting those batteries, uh, in particular uh, the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act. So the, the idea of reducing our reliance on global supply chains and making sure that we can get the product quickly, uh, looking at local manufacturing is a really important part of that. And just coming back to the next steps, I guess, for CWP uh, and, and uh, Windlab, will they, I presume they'll all be, uh, you'll be, you know, when I've looked at previous public company uh, mergers and acquisitions, there's often a big pitch to investors about cost reduction, frankly, headcount reduction, savings, you know, savings on IT systems, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what would you say about the, the potential in the two organisations in this case? Uh, it's definitely on one plus one equals six. And so it's not about cost reduction at all. Uh, like I mentioned before, the, the portfolios are really complementary. So we're adding the Queensland suite of assets that we already had uh, to CWPs in New South Wales and Victoria. And I mean, Squadron was on a huge growth trajectory before this acquisition and, and hiring uh, really rapidly. So we just see opportunities for all the staff uh, and in fact, we'll continue to recruit as well. And, and so each company will still have its own CEO, CFO, separate purchasing department uh, and so on? Uh, no, we, we have announced that we will be integrating CWP into Squadron uh, and we think that by combining the capability and skills of the two groups, uh, we'll be stronger together. Well, fantastic, Eva. Um, just, I've got one last question, um, just about um, to sort of confirm which will be the next project um, out of the um, out of production line. I'm presuming that David mentioned at the start it's the Yangala one in New South Wales, um, wind and battery. Um, and if you can just kind of confirm that, and is there a particularly pet project that sort of grabs your attention that you're particularly excited about? Well, I always go back to the Clark Creek project. Uh, partly because it's the largest grid-connected renewable project in the country. So I think it's a really great uh, role model for doing things at scale. Uh, and you might have seen some of the photos that have come out recently of the, the wind turbines and blades arriving in, in Gladstone Port, and they're just mind-blowing. Uh, it's so exciting to see them come uh, into Australia and to be going onto site to be erected. Uh, and when I think about your earlier question around cost optimization, I think it's really interesting to think about the wind turbines. As you would know, uh, they're all manufactured overseas at the moment. And with the scale of the portfolio that we have within Squadron now, as well as all the other developers, uh, we just have to get better and smarter at doing these things in Australia and that will bring costs of renewable power down as well. So looking at uh, plant and equipment itself and where we source it from, how it's designed, how it's innovated, 
um, can we use the fantastic science and engineering brains and skill sets we have here to think of ways to design wind towers that haven't been thought of before. Uh, that, that's going to be hugely exciting for us. And transformers, I guess, where there's already one local manufacturer. Could, could, I, 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 got, I, I could ask what your priorities are going to be, and that would be a very good question, probably long answer. But can I just ask, what post-CWP, what will the total headcount of Squadron be roughly at the moment? Uh, well, we have a lot of projects uh, and project staff, and we like to think of them as part of our family. So it's, uh, it's within a few hundred. Well, um, Eva, it sounds like um, there could be opportunities then for sort of um, not just electrolyzer manufacturing in, um, in, in, in and around Gladstone, but possibly also sort of modules and battery storage and um, wind turbines or sort of various parts of those things. So um, um, I, I guess that's the, uh, that, that, that's the infirm in, intention of the, uh, of the forest group of companies, uh, sort of Forest QFFI and um, Squadron. Look, um, congratulations on this purchase, and look, we look very much forward to um, hearing more of your projects. Um, certainly, um, you're going to be, yeah, as we sort of wrote the other day, um, you're going to be the dominant or one of the dominant players in the industry. So we look forward to hearing more um, of what you propose to do. So thanks very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure, and we'll have to get you on the road. You can do your a podcast from Clark Creek one day we'd love to we'd love to do that ever and uh, <laughs> I, I, I look forward to hearing the the uh the progress because i think you know you've got one of the uh, biggest ceo jobs in the whole of the renewable uh transition industry uh, and and you know i expect you'll be a pretty pretty busy person for the next uh, few years yes i will be but you know there's something wonderful about um as an engineer and having worked in many big infrastructure sectors over the years there's something very wonderful about working in, in a sector that's actually going to change the world. So um, I'm, I'm thrilled to play a very small part in that. Well, good on you. Thank you very much once again for, for joining us. Thank you so much. And that was uh, Eva Handley, the CEO of Squadron Energy. David, I think the most remarkable thing about this transaction is that it is very um, domestic focused, but I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking that this is by far the biggest amount of money that Andrew Forrest has sort of put out the door on all his sort of green energy deals. I mean, with Fortescue and things like that, we've seen the construction of electrolyzer plant nearly finished in, in Gladstone, but really most of the rest um, has been MOUs and deals and agreement and things like this, but this is this is a real deal, it's a real transaction, real money has or will be exchanged, and they've got a real pipeline of projects. No, I agree with that. Uh, CWP probably brings, uh, someone said to me in the industry, three things that, uh, that, that are very useful. They bring a bunch of projects, they bring um, uh, operating assets, and they bring a development team. They're the three things for which they've paid a price over, over $4 billion for a business which has less than uh, you know, probably about 200 and something million dollars of EBITDA at the moment. So it's a very high EBITDA multiple, uh, as I mentioned so, so on the, how, in the interview. So how do you justify that? How do you justify that then? Well, because, just, you, uh, because you are paying a, a, a big price for the development portfolio. And, I, and to some extent, uh, shovel-ready projects are at a complete premium at the moment. It takes five to seven years probably to develop a wind project. And we need 
you know, what do we need, 30 gigawatts of wind or something to t over the next 10 years. So having a whole bunch of projects that are capable of being quickly developed uh, is uh, certainly of considerable value. And then I think they probably also look at the electricity price forecasts uh, and think they're going to be a lot higher once the current PPAs run out. I'm not quite so sure about that last bit. Um, but that's uh, how do you justify it? Uh, well, you don't have a shareholders to worry about. Uh, you don't even have to talk about a cost out story, if you see what I mean. Like, uh, you, you, ju you just do it. You just do it. Let's do it. Excellent. Well, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have two big players in the market now who probably just do it. We're going to have Andrew Forrest with this little 20 gigawatt pipeline, and then we're going to probably have Brookfield taking over um, Origin Energy, at least the utility part of that, and with promises of a $20 billion spend over the next eight years. I mean, this is really changing the face of the, um, of the market here in Australia, isn't it? Giles, you asked a very good question about the retailing capabilities, uh, of which, of course, uh, there aren't very many. Uh, and but it does uh, bring into this, this conflict between the uh, gentailers who have got all the mass market and stuff, but they don't have any of the new energy that's required. They're stuck with their old coal generation, uh, um, and, and and you know it's all very well for Brookfield to say they're going to spend a lot of money, but where are they actually now going to get their projects from at the same time as AGL's chasing them? And as listeners to our podcast will know, there's uh, enormous competition coming from Europe and the United States for equipment. Uh, Australia is still going to be, as big as we are getting, we're still going to be a small fish in the global market for the next 10 years. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of things to, to be sorted out uh, over this. So the other big thing that's happened this week is the state and federal energy ministers meeting, Chris Bowen. Um, they all got together in Queensland on Thursday and they've come up with a something called the Capacity Investment Scheme. Now this is basically a substitute or replacement, or well, follows the dumping of the old capacity market mechanism that was proposed by the ESB. Um, the ESB clearly didn't read the politics and just kept on pushing forward pretty much the same meal that um, they'd been told to serve up under the um, Angus Taylor regime. Um, this is really interesting. It's basically based on another coalition policy from this time from New South Wales, Matt Keane and his uh, Renewable Infrastructure Roadmap. It sounds very sensible. It's uh, basically auctions um, with an underwriting agreement. It could be in the form of the LTSs, which New South Wales is using, or um, who knows. It just There seems to be a degree of flexibility between the states. It's probably a national scheme um, in name only, David, I'd imagine, because each of the states, or the important states, Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, have their own ideas about how they will go about sort of ensuring that sort of storage here. But at least they, they've now got a scheme that they can, um, well, they, they've now got a name for it. Uh, well, they had names. Um, you have a name before you have a scheme, mostly. Um, uh, look, I think myself, this, this announcement, and it's no more than that because there's no detail on it really, um, at least, unless you've seen more than I have. Uh, uh, but, but, but this scheme does two things for, for me. Firstly, it says that there won't be any coal in the, any capacity mechanism going forward. Um, uh, and secondly, it helps this process of getting federal coordination and AEMO of recreating the national electricity market that, frankly, Angus Taylor did his best to destroy by being so at odds with the states. Uh, it, it, what you say is exactly right. New South Wales has a well-developed scheme. Queensland is building two very large 
pumped hydro projects that, are, that have a total cost in excess of even what the revised snowy cost is likely to be. And Victoria has its announced uh, storage target as well. Tasmania doesn't need any storage. It's going to be a net supplier of firming. And South Australia in the end is a fairly small market. So uh, it's really just putting um, uh, an umbrella over over what was already in place. And we shouldn't forget that as the renewable energy increases and the transmission links increases, we, we also get uh, firming portfolio benefits uh, that people always underestimate and ignore. So overall, I myself still think that the main uh, thing we need to focus about is getting more projects actually built in New South Wales where the coal station closures are imminent. Uh, and also getting trying to undo this big increase in capital costs that we've seen over the past 12 months. Yeah, indeed. Um, a couple of unresolved issues for the State Energy Ministers. One is a mechanism, an exit mechanism for the coal. Just this will bring some sort of certainty and timing on that. And we've heard some sort of, you know, um, you know mumbles from Origin Energy, Frank Calabria, saying, oh, we may not in the end be able to close um, as scheduled. And I guess the question is, well, who pays for the maintenance, the ongoing maintenance of the equipment um, if they do have to hang around for an extra six month or year or two years? And I guess that's something that's going to be rather tricky thing to negotiate and that's sort of been put off as has the um, debate about sort of connection fees and locational margining pricing that doesn't seem to have developed at all. Um, Charles, so, sorry, sorry, just, just a, uh, also one thing that was glaringly missing from the federal announcement yesterday was how it's going to be paid for or funded. So the New South Wales Altessa scheme is essentially funded out of charges to distributors if, if the New South Wales government needs to subsidise it. Uh, the Queensland uh, pumped hydro has been directly built by the federal government and been sold to Queensland-owned uh, retailers. So, you know, what's the role for the federal government funding in that? And uh, Victorian government, I think, is is kind of uh, going to offer contract CFDs for, for the firming down there for the battery program. So, you know, is is this federal government money going to replace that, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. There's some sort of questions around that. Yeah. Just on the time of the coal closures, I mean, this may or be partly influenced by whether Snowy 2.0 gets completed on time and within, within cooey of budget. Um, certainly what we've seen in this last um, week or so with the collapse of Clough, um, the withdrawal of the, their partner we build from the, sort of this sort of bailout purchase. Um, I'm not too sure what happens here, David, but we can almost certainly expect um, extra costs, a bigger blowout and probably longer delays. Well, I, I think that's right. I mean... Um, the normal course, I suough is well someone will take over all the Clough projects one way or another, uh, and as a condition for doing that if, is that they will charge more, and all the customers, particularly Snowy, is completely over a barrel on this in one sense, or deep in a tunnel if I, if I may be the better word, uh, because you can't really get halfway through a tunnel and then just say, well, you're going to abandon the project or something. you've got to get it got to, they'll have to pay, I think, in the end. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, we're quite an extraordinary situation. Of course, that's not the first contractor to go under. We saw a fair, fair few contractors go under with the um, um, with uh, both wind and solar projects over the last couple of years. Although Giles, in the stock market, one of my own personal golden golden rules was never invest in a contractor because you're the last person as the shareholder to ever find out what the problems with all the contracts are, <laughs> and, and the margin the margins are always uh, uh, very skinny. You know, in my opinion, at the best of times, and every contractor I think I've ever heard of has run into trouble at one stage or another.
Yeah, very good. Okay, David, I don't know whether we've got any other sort of unfinished business. Any, anything else to mention before we um, sign off for um, this week's episode? No, I, I, I think that's all. I mean, there's a lot more going on, but that's one fantastic piece of burst. I mean, the Windlab thing is right, like super exciting. I mean, they, you know, uh, you, you do have to say that uh, um, that Squadron has built on in the NEM the combination of uh, Windlab and uh, CWP is a very powerful force, and CWP does have an excellent portfolio. Uh, of assets in New South Wales particularly uh, that are probably more shovel ready than most other assets and you know uh, having lots and lots of money is going to be a key thing because more and more projects are going to be done on a merchant basis and this means you need to take the risk of locking in your turbines uh, uh, and, uh, and, and before perhaps you have your agreement with AEMO uh, so that you can actually get the speed up the building of them. So having it's a, it's becoming a very big players game uh, with big players who can absorb uh, the appropriate risks in a way small players can't. Mm, very good. Okay, thank you, David. Uh, thank you very much to Eva Hanley, the CEO of um, Squadron Energy, for joining Energy Insiders podcast once again. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, uh, Pylon and Evergen. Thanks for everyone listening out there. We're hurtling towards the 1 million listen mark for the 2022 calendar year, which is very gratifying. And um, uh, we hope you continue to enjoy it. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.